speak to you in the name of one God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? What is the greatest piece of literature ever written? We humans tend to get hung up on questions like, what's the most important and who's the greatest? We like to put others to the test by asking questions like, who is the best baseball player in the past 20 years? Or what's the best TV drama of the 2000s? I used to try and annoy my family with these types of questions growing up. It usually involved me asking them which of the many pets we had in our household they loved the most. And I've tried the same line of questioning with my wife. I ask her what creatures she likes the most in her house, and I include myself in the list of options. And she almost always chooses one of the cats. In today's gospel story, the Pharisees attempt to trip Jesus up with a similar, albeit much more important question. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? It's a question meant to trap Jesus. But in his response, Jesus demonstrates a command of the scriptures that reveal his identity as the Messiah and point to his mission of unselfish, sacrificial love. Now, the Pharisees had been out to get Jesus for a while because he had been stirring up all sorts of trouble. In the chapters before this lesson, Jesus had made his messianic entrance into the city of Jerusalem. He had gone into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and criticized the temple administration. The Pharisees were desperate to discredit this man who was a profound threat to the religious establishment. And last week, we heard the account of how the Pharisees tried to do this by confronting Jesus about the legitimacy of paying taxes to Caesar. This week, we hear how they try and trap him by asking which commandment out of all the over 600 laws in the Hebrew scriptures is the greatest. And out of all the 600 plus commandments he could have chosen from, Jesus elevates two and he likens them to one another. The first, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, comes from Deuteronomy. And this piece of scripture is part of the Jewish Shema, one of the most prominent prayers in the Jewish tradition. It's a prayer that serves as the cornerstone of the Jewish faith. So the first commandment that Jesus highlights was most likely no great surprise to the Pharisees. They had heard it before and they knew it well. However, what may have been surprising to the Pharisees was the second commandment that Jesus lumps in there. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this commandment comes from Leviticus and was much lesser known commandment than the first one Jesus quotes. So it's kind of a bold move by Jesus to elevate this commandment to the level of scripture that inspired the Shema. Jesus throws a curveball at the Pharisees. For Jesus, 
love of God and love of neighbor are closely related. Now, I think many of us have heard the great commandment so many times that it seems pretty straightforward. Love God, love your neighbor. I can do that. But if we ponder this a little more, I'm not so sure these commandments are as straightforward as they might seem. I mean, how do you love something with our whole heart? How do you love something with all your soul? How do you love something with all your mind? And further, we usually love things we can explicitly experience with our senses, things we can touch and see, smell, and taste, and hear. How do we love God, something we can't explicitly experience with our senses? Luckily for us, these two commandments that Jesus highlights actually interpret one another. In quoting the Shema, Jesus indicates that the aim of the law is to orient one's entire life towards God, to put God at the very center of our lives. And we can't love God. We can't have God at the very center of our lives without loving what God loves. We can't love God and exclude or oppress any of God's creatures. In likening these two commandments, love of God and love of neighbor, Jesus emphasizes complete devotion to God expressed through the love of others. As Christians, our understanding of human dignity relies on the recognition that every person is related to God before they're related to anything else. There is a level to every human life that exists in relation to God. Love of neighbor involves approaching all people with a reverence, a type of openness and expectancy of God to blossom through each and every person I recently saw an interview with presiding Bishop Michael Curry on one of the major news networks. And he talked about how love is not so much a sentiment, but rather a hard-earned spiritual commitment that seeks the good and welfare of others. It is the ultimate unselfish act. And Bishop Curry went on to say that every movement of human progress has been done by people committed to seeking the good and the welfare of others. And last, he explained the need to mobilize this unselfish, sacrificial love. How that sort of mobilization that has led to every movement of human progress gives him hope. That it has the power to make of our society a beloved community. He says that when love is the way No child will go to bed hungry. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the world will become a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will study war no more. When asked to sum up the entire teachings of Moses and the commandments in the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus tells us to put love of God and love of neighbor at the very center of our lives. 
the greatest thing that God desires from us, the thing that pleases God the most, is to have God's selfless and generous love reflected back, to mirror the same kind of unconditional, unrelenting, unstoppable love of God that has the power to change this world. Amen.